As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible, hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So Welcome to Anything is Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic. Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and we are just keeping on, keeping on on the Celtics roller coaster. It was a up and down week, and we are back up again as Celtics fans, just because Jason Tatum scored 51 points against the Washington Wizards for an easy Celtics victory. This comes after a just absolutely awful loss to the Portland Trailblazers where the team didn't hit a field goal in the final seven minutes of the game. Jay King, you are a professional news reporter. You cover this team as your job. What the hell do we make of what's going on with the uh, Boston Celtics basketball club? I think, I mean, Tatum's 51-point outing and just the way he did it, I think provides hope that maybe good will come from all of this, right? Like He's been through a tough season and a half now where his team has been 500 and his supporting cast hasn't been good enough. He's been through, by his standards, just a dreadful three-point shooting season. So much is on his shoulders. He's playing a ton of minutes. He's tasked with doing more playmaking probably than he should be because of the roster. And when he does pass really well the Celtics often don't pay him off because they they don't have good shooters around him but but the possible upside is that Tatum will learn from this and that he'll grow and that being in such a really shitty difficult situation for the last season and a half will eventually pay major major dividends and today's game the 51-point outing, was, for the most part, a pretty perfect Jason Tatum outing. 
And it's not just that he hit nine threes and snapped out of the over twenty skid that he was in. He was that helped gonna, though. That that did help. That certainly <laughs> helped. But he was always going to snap out of that streak. It was first play of the game, I think. He hits Al Horford with a perfect pass on the nose in the corner. Horford missed it. Later in the first quarter, Tatum keeps making all the right reads. He makes his shots too. And and all of a sudden you look up, he's got 31 points at halftime. And and he still didn't get out of making the right play. There were a couple of plays in the second half. The one, I think Kuzma was guarding him and he tried like seven straight crossovers and then a three. It was just overly ambitious. Should not have tried that. For, but for the most part, he stayed within himself. He was super aggressive. He got to the paint. He used his body to finish. And he took the threes when they were there. And it was just beyond the shot making. It was such a great run of decision making from him. And I think because he's missed, he had missed 20 straight threes, it got lost that he's kind of been doing that lately. I thought the game against New Orleans, I think he went 0 for 6 from 3. He was still getting the paint. He was still making the right shots. Even during, you know, the the collapse down the stretch against who was it trailblazers the trailblazers they were double teaming him he made all the right plays and the celtics failed they failed around him but you can see where he's growing and and you can see all the ways that he's learning and that this is benefiting him and so i i just thought today's game more than anything was a sign that at the end of this tunnel you know there there could be a lot of light as long as the Celtics kind of survive this journey intact and and with Tatum and with you know a competent roster around him, there there can be good to come from bad. Listen to the hopeful Jay King, Mister Optimist himself. Uh, but I, I'm going to have to completely agree with you. And like just when the Celtics, uh, you, you know what I. You think I'm out? They pull me right back in with this Tatum performance, and it's the reason why I think T like the a lot of Celtics fans are so I think frustrated when the Celtics don't necessarily perform well, especially when Tatum is not performing well or has games like he did uh, against the Hornets or the team has finishes against uh, like they did against the Trailblazers or they're just not made shots. Like Tatum, admittedly, had a, did not have a good offensive game against the Hornets. Um, Somehow the Celtics were kind of still in that game after not playing well. The Trailblazers, you're right. I think the, the team around Tatum really failed him as the Trailblazers did everything uh, they could to get the ball out of his hands. It kind of, like The fans get frustrated because they see the kind of excellence and dominance that Tatum was able to uh, put out there tonight. And I think they kind of expect that to happen every single night. And it's just that's clearly his next step in becoming – I would say a top 10 player in the league or a guy who um, uh, a superstar in the league is the consistency. And it's like a cliche at this point, but he's still very young and only in his fifth season. And it's just rare for someone to kind of be able to kind of put out that excellence and that type of dominant performance on a night in night out basis. I still think that's something he's clearly developing. And even that like players are going to go through slumps Um but then he kind of like reminds you with games like this that like there's re- there's reasons to have hope there's reasons to have optimism, 
The question is just like, what does that mean for the rest of this Celtics season? They're right now, they are 24 and 24. Quick math says that it means they have 34 more games left to play. Can they win more than 17 games? Are they just going to be a 500 team? I'm like hopeful, one, because Tatum was able to break out of a shooting slump and have a game like this and he continues to make the right plays. The other thing is like Marcus Smart came back. I really do think they missed uh, just his, like, I don't think he's an amazing uh, creator, but I do think he's one of the better ones the Celtics have. And I think they clearly missed his just defensive intensity, his playmaking. And it was nice to see him kind of get back in the lineup. I thought he created a lot of opportunities uh, for Tatum out there. Like there, there's always kind of optimism, but when you just like look at the raw numbers of like when the Celtics are fully healthy, you look at certain five man lineups, like they, they have, have the ability to play kind of good basketball, but can they put it all together for like a, a solid stretch over this last part of the season and finish better than like a 41 and 41 team? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the, the riddle. Right? Like, <laughs> got, got that's why they the, play the games. Eventually break out of the 500 doldrums. Um, I think we saw a little hint into maybe Ime Udoka changing a little bit. Um, Dennis Schroeder just 22 minutes off the bench with Marcus Smart back. And obviously Schroeder has been somebody who's played big minutes most of the season. I think he's averaging 30-plus minutes per game, 31.7 minutes per game entering to today. Um, so just 22 for him. I thought, you know, Marcus Smart came back over 31 minutes, was a plus 36. I thought his defense made a huge difference. He had four steals. I thought his willingness to pass made a huge difference. You know, there there was one play when he caught the ball in the right wing, faked, the defense didn't bite, and then he held on to it for a little while and like faked again, and then they finally bit and he fed Jalen Brown for three. Those are the extra pass plays that Marcus Smart really helps with. Um, obviously, people get frustrated with him sometimes for the shot selection, but I think his passing really, really makes a difference for the Celtics and and for Tatum. Um, he had another play on the fast break where he fed Tatum for an in-rhythm jumper, and by then Tatum was already hot. He didn't really need that to, to make him hot, but it's just the more easier buckets you can get for Tatum, for Jalen Brown, for everybody else it, it just makes you feel better about yourself so that when you do have to hit the tough ones it's it's a little easier and that's where Marcus Smart helps and you know when Smart's in that starting lineup that's an inc- like a, a great 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 defensive lineup probably one of the better defensive lineups in the entire NBA with Smart Jalen Brown Jason Tatum Al Horford and Robert Williams and so if you can play great defense for the 12 minutes or so that that group is going to be on the floor per game, and then you bring in Grant Williams off the bench and Josh Richardson off the bench and Dennis Schroeder not playing too, too often with Marcus Smart, then you can really have some some good defensive lineups. And if Tatum and Brown can provide enough offense, then then I'd still think there's a formula there to play better than 500, maybe significantly better than 500. Um, and, and obviously, I think Marcus Smart is a big part of that. But also, Jason Tatum continuing to grow 
And we've seen, you know, in that that game against the Blazers, they went to like Point Tatum lineups that they really haven't used very often. I, I looked up after that game how often Tatum and Jalen Brown had played together without any of the point guards. So Marcus Smart, Dennis Schroeder, or Peyton Pritchard. And it was 12 minutes all season entering that game. And I, I think Tatum and Brown surpassed that in that one game. And so it was just basically Jason Tatum running point guard. And I think they ran into some issues down the stretch with that. Obviously, they didn't make a field goal over the last seven minutes and 19 seconds of that game. Um, but I thought at the same time, the vision was pretty okay. And I actually thought, looking back at that and re-watching it, like some of the process was really good. Tatum got doubled. He found Pritchard, who found Horford, who found Grant Williams in the opposite corner. He just missed. You know, Tatum throws, I think it was a cross-court pass to Romeo Lankford, who's wide open in the corner. Instead of shooting it, steps on the baseline. He misses. Tatum gets doubled, finds Romeo Lankford. He's wide open, and he misses a three. So I, I thought some of the process there was obviously much much better than the results and I think you know when that if that lineup is out there and there's more shooting and it's not Romeo Langford and it's not um like guys that teams are super comfortable leaving or guys guys will just make the jump shot when they're left open then I, I I do think the the Tatum as point guard thing can work and I think Tatum as point guard with Marcus Smart out there too can work so that's kind of a vision that you're seeing more of recently. Um, and I, I think that that could end up being a pretty good thing for the Celtics. Yeah, it's the type of step you want to see Tatum making at this point. I think the, the interesting thing is you mentioned like what happens when Tatum's out there surrounded by shooters. And with the current state of the roster, I don't really know where those shooters are coming from because – Marcus Smart, I wouldn't necessarily characterize as a shooter, despite his willingness to do so. His percentage is not there. Grant Williams is still going to be a guy that I think most teams are going to leave. And so I, I do agree that like Tatum as point guard, it's great to see him making the development because that he be kind of becomes the de facto playmaker at the end of games. You're going to have the ball in his hands no matter what. And so his ability to make plays there, I think, is going to be important. I do think just having another facilitator on the court who – in Marcus Smart, I like. I know I just said he's not the greatest shooter, but I do think he's a guy and probably the guy on the team who could go out there and just like get offense on his own. Um, I think people will be criticized Smart for kind of his, his decision-making sometimes, but it feels like when the Celtics are really in a rut, the only guy who can really go in and consistently get a bucket in the paint on his own is Marcus Smart doing something a little bit wacky. Sometimes you get Jalen Brown going on runs, but he feels a little bit streaky. And so having just another valve, like I guess safety valve out there for just creation, uh, if teams do decide to double Tatum like the Trailblazers uh, uh, did, feels pretty important. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the, the Celtics do moving forward. The, the tough thing is, is like games like the Trailblazers are games they needed to win to kind of get, make some hay in the Eastern Conference standings. Like right now they're ninth. They just moved a half game in front of the Washington Wizards, but they're full three and a half games just from the sixth seed Philadelphia 76ers. And the question is, can they win games? And are they going to make a change at the uh, 
just trying to just get anyone in there who can provide some sort of shooting in that final roster. I think one is one key is staying healthy, but as we talked about all year, they still don't have that shooting. And even if they do make a deal, is that enough to kind of get them out of the uh, play in tournament? And if, if like, is it worth it at that point to like go out and like, I guess, give up assets to just try and bring in a guy uh, who would be a shooter uh, or a short-term upgrade just to kind of make the team better this year. Yeah. I think, I think more likely you'll see the Celtics make a move in those moves in the summer um, just because they're close at this point to getting underneath the luxury tax. And Oh yes, we should talk about, we have not talked about that. uh, The Wancho trade yet. The big old Wancho Erna Gomez trade. Um, so I think that trade helped put them a little closer to getting under the luxury tax. And in this season where you're 500 and probably not doing much, um, of actual significance, then maybe it makes sense to get under the luxury tax and, you know, take, I think it's supposed to be like a close to a $10 million paycheck to the teams that avoid the luxury tax because you split at least a portion of uh, the luxury tax payments that other teams pay if you are under the tax. So I know fans don't care about that type of stuff, but it would As long as you like use that money moving forward when you do have a winner and like have a willingness to go spend, which I feel like the the Celtics have not really like cheaped out um, when they do feel like they have a tender but it does make sense at this point yeah i would agree that it seems much more likely to be setting brad seems to be setting things up for this offseason where horford's deal is non-guaranteed next year um and they'll have a, a little bit more flexibility to make some moves you're telling me that the, all they have to the do 17 is, million is dollar trade exception they'll have the trade exception they just picked up in the wancho deal um so they'll have pieces to add to the supporting cast. And I, I think looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. From what it sounds like, um, they feel like, or at least they they want to examine what this core, which probably means like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Williams at this point, maybe smart too, but they want to see what that group looks like with a different cast of characters and a cast of characters that has shooting and maybe more passing. Um, so I, I do think that significant changes to the supporting cast could be coming. Um, but I just, I just think it's more likely during, in the summer due to the financial aspects of it. 
So we'll see. Well, it's, well it's, at least tell me we're going to trade Dennis to get under the cap. And so we can get Peyton Pritchard, a guy who uh, seemingly can pass and shoot the ball, actually getting some minutes. You mentioned Schroeder not getting as many minutes tonight. He's less offensive when he's just like the guy who gets the basketball when Tatum is not in the game and he's purely just like looking for second unit points. Like in that role, it feels like Dennis Schroeder is a okay, but him playing next to Tatum, especially in crunch time, it feels like he has much less use. We've seen Payne Pritchard get a little bit more minutes, um, especially since you talked to Brad and Brad said that would happen. Uh, but it feels like it's a, if they're trying to get another luxury tax and trying to get different guys in there, it makes sense to kind of give Payne Pritchard um, a bit more run and just kind of see uh, what you have. Tell me, a uh, deal for Dennis is still possible. Yeah, I, I would. I would think that's absolutely a possibility. You look at today, and the Celtics basically didn't play any of their young guys. Romeo Langford got a first half stint when the game was still in the balance, but he was the only one, and it was a quick first half stint. Neesmith didn't play. Pritchard didn't play. So I don't think it's like the number one priority for the Celtics to clear up room for those guys. But I also think you do want to figure out more of what you have um, in those three, especially. Especially because with Neesmith and Pritchard, you're going to need shooting. And those are two guys. Pritchard has already proven he's a shooter. Neesmith hasn't at the NBA level, but there's the, the skill set there that makes you think he could be. And so I, I, I do think that Schroeder could be, you know, it, it, it seems likely that the Celtics will at least explore the trade market for Dennis Schroeder um, and maybe be likely to move him before the deadline. If any of the fine folks in this athletic live room have questions or just a great Dennis Schroeder deal, uh, please feel free to raise your hand. We'll get you live on stage joining with us. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the trade that brought in Bull Bull and Celtics legend P.J. Dozier. Both guys are hurt. Both guys are uh, free agents upcoming next year. Now, the Celtics do have the bird rights for Dozier, who was molded by offensive guru Nick Friedman. Um, do you think there's any chance either of those guys end up actually playing any minutes uh, for the Celtics next year or end up re-signing? I guess there's always a chance. Um, but Dozier is hurt and won't play the rest of the season. Bull Bull is also hurt and may not play the rest of the season. They'll both be free agents. So, you know, Ime Odoka said they want to get a look at Bull Bull and they'll have a chance to do that before he becomes a restricted free agent this summer. But I, I think that trade was was more about shedding some money and getting closer to underneath the tax. And, you know, if, if Bull Bull contributes anything ever cool, if not, <laughs> if not, then the Celtics shed a little bit of of salary, and uh, so yeah, I I don't think they 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 might have done it thinking okay maybe one day this will pay dividends with either Dozier Bull or both, um, but the primary driving force was more financial, and I think the rest would just be a bonus. Yeah, 
All right. I was looking this up the other day. It's a time for a quiz, J. King. Uh, what what do you think is the most amount of points a year Manute Bull averaged in the league? 9.8. Not it's even close. 11.2. No. His best year, 88-89 for the Warriors. He averaged 3.9 points per game and led the leagues with 4.3 blocks a game. He only averaged 3.9 points? Yeah, in his best year. That's crazy. That was his year where he, he in that season he averaged four field goal attempts a game. They just didn't let him shoot. He played he eighty games and only took uh, three hundred and twenty field goals. He averaged the same amount of blocks as field goal attempts per game: four point three and four point three. That's special. <laughs> That's absolutely wild. That's well, special. He was also a seven foot seven. Was he seven seven? 200 seven, pounds. Seven, and he somehow shot 36.9% from the field. <laughs> and he was launching threes as a seven foot seven dude in 1989, which is just special. Stretching the floor. Yeah, 22%. That's wild. His rookie year, five blocks a game, only three and a half field goals a game. So more blocks than field goals, which is just crazy stuff. Um, Bull Bull, a lot more talent than his dad, Manute. Well, I don't know. If the Celtics will uh, ever, ever see Bull Bull play, but it's going to be interesting. Um, again, it's another stretch for the Celtics where they like have a relatively easy schedule. The Kings are coming in, then the Hawks, who have been struggling uh, this season, but have actually won three straight. Another chance against the Pelicans. Uh, a chance to kind of go on a run here. I guess it's for the Celtics. It's like what? It's just been a wild up and down because I feel like I saw a bunch of people after Friday night saying the Celtics should tank. I don't think they're ever going to do that just with like how the roster is currently constructed. Uh, but what I guess, what are your expectations for the team as they finish out the season? We talked about like Jason Tatum getting better, like the, the core, like playing better basketball. But in terms of the playoffs, I would be shocked right now if they were played a good enough basketball to kind of make up the the three and a half game difference between them and the Sixers. Because I imagine the Sixers are going to continue playing well as long as Embiid is healthy. I don't really see any of the teams in the top six uh, falling down. So is this just like purely we're going to see what happens? Uh, hopefully this core can kind of like work together. Maybe we'll get some new players in, some pieces who can work well around them and just play solid basketball and maybe maybe give a team a, like the Bulls or the Nets a, a, or maybe the Heat. It's wild to me that the Heat are in third place. That's a non sequitur. I don't know how they keep doing it. But for the Celtics, it's just like trying to stay in that playing game and then give a team a good first-round run. Yeah, probably. Um, and I think they would have a better chance against Chicago if – if they do play Chicago, then then Brooklyn. Um, but yeah, I I I mean I don't think that's like an organizational goal. Like they're sitting there, man. I, I hope we, I hope we finish with the seventh or eighth seed and and get waxed by the Nets. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously they're going to try and like win as many games as possible. I'm just as as hopeful and optimistic as you started this podcast. I just don't necessarily see it being in the cards for the Celtics because they would need to play better than much better than 500 basketball and 
have a team like the Cavs or the 76ers really stop playing well. And they still have to contend with teams like, uh, I mean, they're three full games back of the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, what do you think uh, about your first experience watching a Nick Freeman coached uh, team live in the TD Garden? Just a spectacular offense. <laughs> they're really, they're really good offense. I don't know how uh, much Nick Freeman has to do with coach. it, but uh, the Hornets' offense when they go small was was pretty impressive. I can't lie. Yeah, I mean Nick Friedman, he's kind of like a young Mike D'Antoni mixed with Greg Popovich mixed with Red Auerbach is how I would describe I, it. I, yeah, no, I feel the same way. I was talking to him after the game, actually, and he came up with this idea. He's telling me he's working on something. It's called uh, Six Seconds or Less. Uh, it's like the <laughs> D'Antoni offense, just a little bit quicker. And I think it's going to uh, do some big things in this league once he's finally gets the chance to implement it. Yeah, I, I think that's that's clearly his course <laughs> is is to you know spark innovation in the NBA and it's a copycat league. So I I think one day, ten fifteen years from now, you'll see everyone running the Nick Friedman six seconds or less system. <laughs> I mean, I think we can only hope with me being his uh, his agent, just the, again ten percent of all his good work. Um, that's what we're hoping for. I've I've run out of things to say about this Boston Celtics team. It's a wild roller coaster ride, Jay. You've been on the roller coasters. Any observations you've had over the past, uh, I guess, couple games from just an awful performance against the Trailblazers down the stretch? Tatum scoring fifty-one. Anything that uh, I've missed that you've been dying to talk about as a legitimate journalist? I think. First of all, no. Um, <laughs> but first of all, I am also bored with this team. <laughs> but the one thing I have noticed is that every time I'm on the schedule to write a game, every single time the Celtics collapse in the fourth quarter, and it's like the same exact game. Like every single time I'm writing off a game, there is nothing new to write about. It is just the same problems oh fourth quarter comes they stop scoring for several minutes at a time they miss a ton of shots and they lose in dreadful fashion and then when i'm not on the schedule it's like jalen brown has 50 jalen brown (laughs) has a triple double jason tatum goes for 50 Jason Tatum has a triple though. It's like, can I get any of the fucking interesting stories, please? Just, just one of them. But, but I think it's the curse of the kid. Um, yeah, it does, it does sound like your fault. Uh, the way you're describing it, it's the curse of the kid. Every single time I'm on the schedule to write a game, all the Celtics do is miss like forty threes and cough up an eight point lead in the fourth quarter. And it happens every single time, no matter what. I might as well start writing my story four days before tip-off. It's, oh, you, it's you, just going to be the same thing every time. I would ask you to do that because if you ever pre-wrote a story, there's no way the basketball gods would reward you, and then the Celtics might actually like hold on to a fourth-quarter lead. So uh highly recommend that you do that. I Back in my days when I used to uh, fancy myself a legitimate uh, media member and I had to write gamers for WEI.com, I was awful at them. And I would try to pre-write as much as possible. It always screwed me 
Like I would try to like write a good solid like first half synopsis and it just never worked out. What is it? What is your strategy? Give some give some advice to the young journalists out there writing gamers. Do you pre-write anything or you go all off the top of the dome as soon as it hit triple zero? No. So when I used to have to publish a story right at the final buzzer for Mass Live, I used to write two stories at the same time because Ooh. one with like the same. That's that's. Wow, you are a professional journalist. I didn't. I was never prepared for you to be able to say two stories at the same time. That's wild. One with the slant that they won, <laughs> and this is why they won. And then the other with the slant they lost. This is why they lost. Um. So yeah, that that wow, used to that's, be that's why difficult. You get the big but box. now with the athletic, they give us more time to write, um, which is awesome because then I can actually go back, watch tape, figure out what actually happened versus watching live without the instant replay, without being able to kind of dissect more of what happened. Um, but yeah, that's, the, that's the, the kind of the fine journalism days, you'll wild. get at The Athletic if you subscribe. If you also subscribe, you can join us here in the live room. If you're one of the people in the live room, got anything, questions to ask, even just comments, uh, feel free to raise your hands right now. Otherwise, Jay, I'm going to ask you to explain – why the Bucks, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were sending six people, including the guy guarding Cooper Cup, uh, when the game is tied with 35 seconds left? It didn't make any goddamn sense to me. I think you can't you can't sit back in that situation and just let them throw a 10 yard out. You don't have to sit back. You have to guard the best receiver in the league or one of the the best receivers in the league. I mean, clearly they screwed up by leaving Cooper cup to separate beyond the defense. Matt Stafford made a great pass. Um, as a guy who, who still enjoys watching Tom Brady play football. And that was, that was pretty devastating for him to come back from 27, three. It wasn't even like he had a great game, but Oh no! The Rams were giving that game away. Just doing they really were. Their power. I, I don't know what the hell they were doing that entire second half. It was just a dreadful performance, honestly, by the Rams. But but once once the Bucks pulled even, I thought it was over. And if they if they had gotten it to overtime, there's no chance they were losing. Zero chance. They were going to win the coin flip. Tom Brady was going to drive for a touchdown. He was going to be on onto the NFC Championship. But instead. Pure devastation. Pure. Uh, at least Aaron Rodgers lost. <laughs> yes. <laughs> at least that fraud got uh, recognized for the fraud that he is. Hey, Jay, is um, is two uh, basketball guys talking football? Is that potable? I mean, I'm not even sure it's potable. Everything is potable! Devastating. Truly devastating. Thought they had it. <laughs>